Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I am loving this new series, Dream Again, and today we're talking about Joseph, and we're just going to dive right in. But Joseph is this amazing case study, amazing case study of what God can do in you and through you if you don't give up. Man, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of broken dreams in this world. There's a lot of people who have just given up on their dreams, and I believe God is the dream giver. He's the ultimate dream giver. And my heart for you today is that if you have stopped dreaming, that you would see that God is telling you to dream again. And not only will he give you a dream, but he's not going to just see you to it. He wants to see you through it. Does that make sense? Turn your Bible to Psalm 105. Let's get into this. Here we go. Psalm 105. He called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Stop. We can preach a message on that. God will allow famines to happen in your life to get your attention, just so you know. So if you're in a famine right now, and that's the reason why you came to church, you should be thankful for that famine. Because a lot of us, when we get prosperity and when we get comfortable, that's when we forget our God. And so there's this famine in the land, and what I love about God is he cares about everybody. So here's what he does. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Who wants to be sent ahead to be somebody who changes the world? Raise your hand. Who wants to be sent ahead? You have no idea what you just said yes to. It's tricked you. (laughs) It's a lot. Um, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they bruised his feet in fetters and placed his neck on an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Everybody say, fulfill his dreams. I don't know about you, but you looked throughout scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. For the plans I have for you, says the Lord, is to give you hope and a future. For the dreams I have for you, you shouldn't have dreams. God already has dreams for you, okay? Proverbs, uh, it says in Proverbs, very simple. Many of the plans in a man's own heart, but the Lord directs his steps. Many of the dreams in a man's own heart, a human's heart, but the Lord directs his steps. AKA, you can choose how you respond, but you don't get to choose the route. This is what we see through scripture. It goes on to say, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So until the time came, the Lord decided to test Joseph's character. Who in here loves tests? Who's the weirdos? Raise your hand. We need to identify you so we can pray for you. Okay, there's a few people we're going to pray for. Who is like, test? Who hated tests? Like, why? Yes, my people. Okay, um, so that he wanted to test uh, Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent, him, uh, sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison doors. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler of all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Stop. And the Lord tested Joseph's character. Billy Graham has this amazing quote, and it never really made sense to me to the level it did, does now, but Billy Graham says this, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. Now, let me, let me just unpack this real quick. There's uh, something when you preach a series called Dream Again, we can get confused and think that this is a carnal book to teach you how to uh, achieve your carnal dreams. This is not something I'm trying to help you just get to where you're going. My job as a communicator is not to show you how useful God is, but how beautiful he is. And there's a difference there. Some people come and they're religious and they think, okay, God's useful. If I obey him, then I get. No, 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 no. He's so beautiful. That's why you want to obey. And so there's this amazing picture there. But let's just talk about just even financial dreams. Or when you're a little kid, can you imagine being a little kid and your dream was to play in the NFL? You grew up in poverty and you get to the NFL and you reach your dreams. That would be amazing, yes? Did you know that 78% of all NFL players within five years file for bankruptcy? 78%. So you get your dream. Oh, you're playing football. You're playing for an NFL team. Millions of dollars comes your way. But then within five years, you did not steward that dream, and now you are bankrupt. What about the NBA? 60% of NBA players file for bankruptcy within five years. Let's just go to boxing. Let's talk about Mike Tyson, all right? Mike Tyson. Um, are you allowed to do that? That's not politically correct anymore? Okay. Um, 
I'm not bullying him. I just, yeah, Mike Tyson would destroy me. Um, Mike Tyson, $400 million he made in his boxing career. Bankrupt. And to be honest, the Mike Tyson one was kind of easy to call. Can we agree on that? I'm just going to say it, okay? But Evander Holyfield, who was like, like his, like, you know, uh, people that he'd fight a lot, his, his, his nemesis, if you will, was worth $540 million and also filed for bankruptcy. And you look at this, and you're like, how, how can you have millions upon millions of dollars, and you have other people make 55 grand a year, and they haven't filed for bankruptcy? How does this happen? Here's what it is, and we said this last week. It's not if God's big enough for your dreams. It's are you big enough to steward the dream? Because money's just one thing. What, whatever, throw money out, whatever. What if the most priceless relationships come into your life? They're worth millions. But because your character is so bankrupt, you bankrupt those friendships. What if you're calling? You finally step into the purpose of what you're supposed to do. But because you stepped into this rich purpose, but this thing is this character that hasn't been developed by God yet, because some of you like, love to run from when God develops your, your character. You think he's punishing you. He's not punishing you. He's preparing you. And so, so then you have this purpose in your life. You're like, okay, I'm going to steward it well. And then you bring this bankrupt character in and you bankrupt what is priceless. I, I got into this ministry thing and I thought church was this perfect place. And then I found out that men that I admired, that I thought were amazing. It's amazing how you can admire people from a distance. Am I right? Especially with Instagram now, you see the nice house, you see the nice lawn, you see everything. But if you actually open the door, you would actually see what really is going on. Because you can have everything on the outside, but if there's no character on the inside, it is chaos. So pastor after pastor, just doing silly things, sleeping with secretaries, stealing money. And I remember just always talking to my buddies, let's just not be typical. It's just so typical. I want character, God. Develop I would ask God, God, develop character to me that when the time comes for me to pass the test, I'll pass the test. Let's just top, talk hypothetical real quick. Let's say you are at the best church ever. I got 54 small groups even. <laughs> Hypothetically talking. You may have heard of a church like this. You know, great worship, great messages. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing, but okay. And you go to one of those 54 small groups. You go to another one of those 54 small groups. You could be in the richest church, but if this isn't rich, you'll bankrupt it all. And I see people just chasing one thing after another. Oh, it must be, if I just had the right job, then I would feel rich. No. Well, if I just had the right friends, then I would be rich. No. If I just had the right calling, then I would be rich. No. If I just had the right spouse, then I would be rich. No. No, if you had the right spirit, the right character, you would make all things rich. And that richness does not come from you, it comes from God. This is what he's doing with Joseph, because he's about to entrust to Joseph one of the most priceless things on the planet. It's his people, Israel. And so my prayer today as we look at Joseph, dream again, is that we would look at him past the test, that we would watch him. Because there's a few observations, if I could just be honest real quick. We're about to pray. We're about to pray, I promise. Uh, there's a few observations real quick. One of the observations is this, is we don't get to choose our route, but we get to decide how we will respond to that route. If I could just be honest, all of us in this room, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the economical income when you were birthed in this world. You didn't choose the people that you'd be around as a kid. You didn't choose the wounds that would come to your life. But this is the route that you have. And God's amazing grace is that he allows those routes not to destroy us, but to develop us, that we would have great character, that we could steward something so priceless like the calling of building his church, of being a son and daughter. Does this sound good? Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, as we look in your word, may we see your just grace and the gospel message, your love, your kindness. May we taste and see that God is good. Lord, we love you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. And everybody said? So a couple of things as we look at this. So um, one of the things I wanted to show you with this whole thing with um, Joseph is we're going to look at two things. What is going on? is one of my points. I'll have a lot of what's in this series. Last week I had five what's. Um, so what is going on? And then my last just part, all my points is what test? What test? And I think a lot of people, because they don't read the word of God, they don't think that saying yes to Jesus comes with a test. You ever realize when you really start pressing in? I remember the first time I like really started tithing. I gave money to God. And then I came out to my Honda Accord and the window was shattered. And I was like, God, I tithed. This is not how this is supposed to work. I'm leaning in. I'm just going to be honest. It was, it was one of those moments because what happens is you realize there will always be tests. Tests are going to be a part of the journey. And you so, yeah, let's just talk honest. There's a lot of people in this room right now that the thing that you probably would say most to God is, God, where have you been? Where have you been? And we'll look at Joseph's story of dream again. And Joseph had to have thought from the time he had his dream at 17 to where he was in his 30s, where he's being betrayed to a pit, to being betrayed by a woman who he did nothing wrong with, to being forgotten in a prison, he had to have asked, where are you, God? But the hiddenness of God does not actually lower the activity of God. But show, show this picture of Mount St. Helens. So Mount St. Helens, with your physical eyes, you see a mountain that looks like it could never be moved. Your physical eyes, you're just looking at it one day. This is right before it exploded in 1980, I think. Um, it, it looks like that. If you have a machine that could actually look underneath what's going, the hiddenness of what's in that mountain, you would see that something's about to happen. Go ahead and show the next picture. Boom, mountain gone. And I want you to hear this real quick. The hiddenness of God, where the things, the mountains in your life, the things in your life that you have no idea, is there anything going on underneath the mountain? Are you doing anything, God? Because I can't see it. God is moving, and we're going to see that. So let's just look at the first point. What is going on? What is going on? So Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 kids. He's one of the youngest kids of Rachel, uh, Jacob's uh, love of his life. He was one of the youngest, therefore he was the favorite. Who's the youngest kids in the house? Raise your hand. The favorites. Nice to meet you, okay? Who was the firstborn of the kid in the house? The experiments. Nice to meet you, okay? Yeah, so we have the experiments and then the favorite. So Joseph is his favorite. Not only is he his favorite, Jacob uh, um, has such big daddy wounds that if you know Jacob's story, his dad liked Esau better. And so Jacob left and he saw Rachel and he loved her so much. And she became everything that he wanted. And he worked for her and it was amazing. And then Rachel passes away, but Rachel's firstborn son, Joseph, who's one of his youngest, he now takes that love that he had for Rachel and he puts it on, uh, on, on Joseph. And so he loves Joseph and all the brothers know it. And you, let's be honest, maybe like if you're a parent, your kids are like, I think that one's the favorite in the family. And there's always a guest, but they never really know. Well, Joseph, Joseph and Jacob, Jacob decides, you know what? I want everybody in the family to know. Come here, Joseph. He makes him a robe of many colors, a rich robe. It would be like you sitting at the table. And if you have like four or five kids and saying, hey, everybody, you know how I, it looks like I like Timmy the best? It's because I do. <laughs> He's my favorite. Timmy is my favorite favorite. I'm going to give Timmy whatever he wants. And you guys are just going to watch that happen. Does that sound good? That's terrible parenting. This is literally what Jacob did with Joseph. He goes, hey, I think you guys think Joseph's my favorite, but you need to know that you know that you know that he's really my favorite. Here's a robe of many colors. It's really rich. You're in charge of everybody, even though you're the youngest. So the brothers hated Joseph all the more. Now, Joseph, I could just be honest. Joseph is a 17-year-old arrogant kid. 
And when you read this story, we read it with carnal eyes and physical eyes, and we look at the story kind of like a movie story. Well, Joseph's the good guy. The brothers are the bad guys. And Joseph, being so good, comes through this story on the other side and saves everybody. No, Joseph's kind of a jerk. It says that Joseph would come to his father with a bad report, Hebrew word. He would make up stuff about his brothers that they didn't even do to get them in trouble. So Joseph's even a liar. Doesn't seem like a good person to me. And then Joseph starts to have a dream. He has a dream and he comes, comes to his brothers, thinks this is a good idea. Like, hey guys, so I had a dream last night. I had a dream that my sheaves started to rise. Be like, hey, my hay started to rise and all your sheaves, they bowed down to my sheaves. Uh, pretty good dream, right? And the brother's like, you telling us we're gonna bow down to you? He's like, hey, it's the dream, what can I say? You know? And then they're like, man, and it says they hated him all the more. And again, like you're like, man, like, okay, you think Joseph at 17 would, would learn from this mistake because how, how angry it made them. Well, he comes to them the next day. And again, this is somebody who just looks like kind of arrogant or ignorant, or maybe just a narcissist, doesn't even realize what they're saying to people. He goes, hey, I had another dream. It's got even better. Well, what was it, Joseph? All right, here it is. The moon, the sun, and the stars, they bowed down to me. You know, like, whoa, me monster's out. You know, like, and then he tells his dad even. And he's like, you, you all bow down to me, kind of thing. And dad's like, hold on a second. You're saying we're going to bow down to you? Now, the father actually rebukes Joseph. For the favor to get rebuked, you know you did something wrong, Okay. So now he's had these two dreams. He's arrogant because let's pause, step out of this real quick. If you make the Bible about good and bad, ever, if you ever make it about good and bad, the brothers are bad, Joseph is good. It's not about who's the good guy and the bad guy. They're all bad. They're all broken. It's about grace. The story of Joseph is about how grace invades Joseph's life and saves Joseph from himself, being this arrogant person that if he would have actually been given everything that Egypt had at that age with that kind of character, it would have destroyed him and it would have destroyed everybody around him. So God's grace invades Joseph's life. God's grace invades his brother's life, invades all of Israel, and it saves everybody. This is an amazing thing. Never make the Bible about good and bad. Always make it about grace. I love the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John love the gospel. But I'll go to the Old Testament. I'll see Hosea and Gomer. It's the gospel. I'll go to Joseph, the story of Joseph. It's the gospel, a brother who was betrayed. Because here's what happens. He walks out one day. This is just like the gospel. His brothers see him. Here comes this dreamer. And they say, let's kill him. And the, the verse says that they ripped the cloak off of him. And you just read past, ripped the cloak, threw him on the cistern. Some translations it pits. The, the Hebrew word is literally, it would be like a ripping of like ripping flesh off. Such a violent act. And they threw him in the cistern. They threw him in the pit. And it's so detailed. There was no water, no food. And they left him to die. So you have this Joseph who is now naked in the pit, betrayed by his brothers. And just happenstance. Just accidentally. Or maybe, just maybe, God's in charge. Some Midianites walk by who are slave traders to sell to Egypt. And one of the brothers say, hey, we shouldn't kill Joseph. We should just sell him. And with brothers like that, who needs enemies? Can we agree with this? Come on now. So then they sell Joseph to the Midianite uh, slave traders. And they sell uh, Joseph to to Potiphar, and Potiphar is this rich uh, kind of big player in Egypt, and Joseph is so gifted in God's hands on his life, and Joseph raises up to the ranks of number two in charge, and now you just got to understand this. Joseph has been hurt. He's been wounded. He's probably learned a little bit from it. His character is getting developed because you see in this moment that he's a man of character and a man of work ethic, and he is doing a great job. All Potiphar worries about is what he's about to eat. That's what the scripture says. One of my mentors say, I don't trust anybody who hasn't been through any pain. I don't trust anybody who's never been through a valley or a pit because if they haven't been through one, they don't even know how to identify with anybody else. You need to know everybody in this room, we have been wounded and we've probably been the one that has wounded also. 
And, and this, this is the reality of this moment. And so Joseph now is, is in the house, and let's be honest, he's a good-looking chap. Uh, he's walking around, Potiphar's wife. We don't even get her name, just Potiphar's wife. God wouldn't even give her a name. He's like, I'm not giving this original desperate housewife a name in the Bible. Just Potiphar's wife, okay? She's the OG desperate housewife, okay? So she sees, um, she sees uh, Joseph, and I don't know how she was trying to entice him, but she tries to entice him, finds him when he's alone. And man, isn't it interesting that when the enemy wants to attack, it's when we're alone. We're, we're, we're literally the moment where he could maybe get something and destroy something. And so Joseph, we got to learn from Joseph. She goes, hey, Joseph, I've noticed you and I want you, you know, and whatever. She might have done a little bend and snap and smile. I bet you that had been going on for months, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Maybe one of those little tricks where she would stare at him and then he would look and she'd look away. You know, one of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know this, okay? And so... And so finally, he goes, uh, he sees her, and she tries to seduce him, and she grabs his cloak, rips it off of him, and Joseph's naked again. I'm like, come on, man, get your clothes on, bro. Joseph keeps on getting naked all the time in this story. So now he's naked again. She, she, um, she calls on a Potiphar, Potiphar, I was just minding my business, and Joseph was trying to, he tried, he tried to force himself on me, kill at me, you know, whatever, you know, and then Potiphar's like, yo, Joe, yo, come on, man, I gave you, I gave you everything. I made you number two in charge. You trying to sleep with my girl? And just like, no, I didn't do it. He's like, whatever, man. You're going to prison. Stop. You don't get to choose the route, but you choose how you respond. Let's look geographically what's going on right now. Canaan is where Joseph was living. And God saw this famine that would destroy and kill the Israelites. So he had to send somebody ahead of him. Sometimes you feel like you're being sent backwards, but really you're being sent ahead. So he gets sold into slavery. And these just... On accident, these Midianites, or maybe it's the activity of God, even though it looks hidden throughout the story, where is God? He's all over this story. His hand's all over Joseph's life. He ends up in Egypt, a little closer to where his dreams supposed to come to fruition. And let's be honest, when Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers in the first story, it makes sense. Like, you're kind of a punk, man. You're kind of asking for it. And so in our culture, we kind of, we kind of almost like we're okay with that one. We're okay, like we asked for it almost. But then the second one is just, it's upsetting to me because have you ever done everything right and still been betrayed? He did everything right, but still betrayal. This is in Luke 17. It is impossible for offense not to come. AK, it's impossible for people not to wound you. But it does not say it is not impossible for us to actually to overcome offense. It is possible. And so he gets betrayed by um, Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, and he did nothing wrong. So he gets thrown in prison. You're like, man, can I catch a break? What are you doing, God? I feel like you're doing nothing. I feel like you just keep on stomping on me. But geographically, if you knew where the prison was and you actually studied it, guess what? The prison was actually the bottom of the palace. Years later, Joseph is rooms away from his dream. Not miles, rooms. He's at the bottom of the palace. God is moving the chess pieces. And you can read this story and go, God, I feel like I'm at the pit right now. I feel like I'm lonely. Can I just tell you real quick? Loneliness, if you will embrace it, it will make you lethal. If you will be somebody who's uh, in this pit of loneliness and you will allow God to do what he needs to do in your life, because to be honest, God's the only one that can really shape you and make you what you're supposed to be. This is the moment of Joseph's life. I wish I could have a camera and watch all of it because he becomes a servant at this moment. If you're, if you're lonely, I'm going to give you a little just heads up. You got time on your hands. Start serving people. Like, you're like, man, I just don't have a lot to do right now. Serve a church. Serve people. Get in a serve group. Because here's what happens with Joseph. It's an amazing thing. He meets a butler and a baker this moment. So now in the story, the butler and the baker, they meet each other. And the butler and baker have a dream. And he goes, okay, all right. God, God, God gives me a gift to interpret dreams. So, so he goes to the butler. Butler, you're about to be restored to your prominence in a few days. 
And Bo's like, I like that dream. Let's go. I'm getting out of prison, you know. And then, and then he goes, hey, Baker, Baker, you're going to die. Boom, both happen. And then when they're leaving, this is what Joseph says. Joseph says, remember me. You know, and guess what they do? They forget about him. Just so you know, when you start serving people, a lot of people are going to forget you served them. Just, just so you know, when you serve people, you're going to want them to remember that you served them. They're going to forget about it. Don't serve for them. Serve because God served you. Don't, don't, don't serve to get, just serve because God gave you a grace to, to be a person that would bring God's love to this place with no strings attached. And so now he's in prison. And if I could just be honest too, his dream never came to, would have never came to fruition if he didn't actually help other dreams come true first. Some of you are waiting for your dream to come to fruition, but the problem is, is you haven't learned how to serve yet. You don't have the character yet. Not everybody has to be great to serve, but you got to serve to be great. Come on now. And so, and so you have this moment where finally the Pharaoh has this dream and nobody can interpret it. Butler's two years later and he goes, you know, I remember there's this guy named Joseph in the pit. He's in the prison now. And he interpreted my dream. And so he tells Pharaoh, I, 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 got no, I know a guy. So Joseph comes up. They dress him up, make him walk like an Egyptian, talk like an Egyptian, okay, all that kind of stuff. And he comes up, I mean, literally, they, they, they literally shave him, get him ready. And the Pharaoh shares in the story. Okay, so we got seven. We got seven small cows, seven big cows. He starts sharing the whole story, and, and Joseph goes, and I love what Joseph says in this moment. He goes, okay, what's going to happen is you're going to have seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And within a moment, Pharaoh goes, boom, puts a, a, a ring on his finger and says, you are in charge of everything. It becomes the... Second most powerful person in all of the world. Like that. I don't know about you, but man, I wish I could just see it happen little by little in my life. Who wants to see it little by little? Am I right? Like if, if I just, but again, if you don't study this book, you wouldn't realize that if you keep whatever your pit is right now, whatever your prison is or whatever isolated you feel like right now, if you would actually just do the things that God's called you to do in that moment and you would make it about your character and not about the route, that you'd make it about God knows best, oh, watch what he does with your life. So we're gonna look at just a couple points. So what test? So now we know what happened. That's where it ends. But let's, let's look at what tests that we can learn from Joseph so we can be ready for when God gives us the dream that he's given us a steward. And if your dream is just to be famous and rich, you have not got a dream from God yet, okay? That's a dream from Disney Channel or Instagram, okay? That's your dream, okay? But if your dream is to be everything God called you to be, if your dream is to... Use everything you got to glorify his kingdom. Woo! You might be on track. But there's going to be a cost to it. He's going to want to develop that character. So the first thing, what test? The first test is this. The test of poverty, the test of power. They go hand in hand. The most insecure people are always the most prideful people portraying power. Let's just be real. So there's this moment where Joseph comes up, and I love how Joseph responds. Oh, it's so good. So good. Pharaoh comes uh, has come to the, the room, and Pharaoh goes, I heard you can uh, interpret dreams. And at this moment, you could, you know, if Joseph at 17 would be like, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a bad man. You know, I interpret dreams. What you got? What you got? Give it to me. Give it to me. I, I, I do this because I'm amazing. Look at look my amazing robot I got. I'm go ahead, give me your dream. Something happened in that route that God took him on that made him respond in such a humble way at a moment where he could leverage how great he is. Have you ever been around somebody? You ever been around a self-promoter? Like, hey, so how are you? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, a couple years ago, I started investing in stock, and then I got this big job. And, oh, yeah, have you seen my boat yet? Your day's doing good then, is what you're saying to me? Like, they literally tell you their resume within, like, two minutes. You're like, I don't, 
What's your name? You know what I'm saying? Like, but they feel like they have to betray something or what they have done. This is, this is the opposite of what Joseph does. Joseph comes before Pharaoh, does not share his resume, how great he is. He shares how great God is. And he goes here, he goes, but I've heard about when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And I love what Joseph says. It is beyond my power to do this. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph had realized I am broke without God. I am bankrupt without him. I don't do anything. Everything I get to do that's amazing, it's always because of him. It's always by his grace. I, I want you to catch this real quick. It's exhausting trying to cover up how poor you are. We broke in the house. Marriages are poor. Relationships are poor. Health is poor. Emotions are poor. I grew up super poor. I grew up on food stamps, and I tried to hide how poor I was all the time. I remember being in junior high, and we'd go to a movie, and my, my friends would uh, um, get, be waiting to be picked up. And so the movie would get out at 7 p.m., but I didn't want anybody to see how ghetto our car was because we're in a fluent area, and I was the, the poorest kid out of all my friends. And so i tell my parents, the movie gets out at 8 p.m., so I could wait a whole hour just so that nobody would see how bad the car is. And so it would be this thing like, all right, you know, wait another hour just so we can see how ghetto our car is. It's one of those ghetto uh, station wagons that had wood on it. And that was cool in 1982, but not in 1999. Okay, and I mean it was ghetto looking, um, and so so I didn't want anybody to see me get in this ghetto ghetto car and let let them actually see how poor I really was. Nobody's ever I was never invited over over to my house. No way. But then I was like, man, I don't I don't want to wait an hour. That's so long. So then I would tell my mom, mom, actually we're gonna go to the ice cream shop down the road, and you can pick me up from there. But really, what I would do is I just have my friends get picked up, and I'd walk to the ice cream shop. So I had to walk a few blocks to get picked up, so nobody see the car. And then I'll never forget being in junior high and getting the lunch, uh, the little lunch ticket that was bright red and a circle, and everybody else's was blue and a square. So they really wanted you to know who was having the free lunches, who were the poor kids. Thank you, Piop School District. Anyways, <laughs> and so what I would do is when class would get out, because one day I remember being in line and somebody's like, hey, why does your, your ticket look different? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. You know, of course I knew what it is, but I didn't want to tell them what's going on. Oh, it's because we're super poor. Good talk? Okay, bye. Um, <laughs> And so I remember what I would do after third period before a lunch is I would sprint to the front of the line so nobody would see me. I'd get my lunch real fast, get my ticket, and go sit down so nobody knew that I, had a, uh, that I had a reduced lunch. And then probably the thing that bothered me the most was, it's kind of getting kind of downer right now, right? I kind of, I'm taking it. You're welcome. Um, who brought the downer? His name's Tyler. Um, uh, I'm in eighth grade, and the girl I have a crush on at the time asked me, why do you always wear the same shirt? And... She probably didn't know that I only had two shirts. And so I remember my aunt, who was the one who like, made a, a decent amount of money, got me a Chicago Bulls starter jacket for Christmas. And I thought to myself, you can't wear the same shirt every day, but you can wear the same jacket. Nobody talks about jackets because jackets are different. And so hot or cold, I was wearing this big bomber jacket, Chicago Bulls, so nobody knew I had no clothes. It was exhausting. It was exhausting. And I remember my dad getting a, a, a better job our sophomore year, and I finally started working at McDonald's. Yeah, that's what's up. And I got my car, and I could wear better clothes. And I just remember being like, oh, finally, I don't have, to, don't have to hide it anymore. But the problem is, is and they show this in studies. They ask millennials, why are you flooding out of church? And their answer is, because it doesn't deal with actually what's going on in my life. Because what happens at church a lot is we act like we're not broke, that we're not poor, that we don't need the, the riches of God to touch our heart. And so people come and they are broke and they are poor, but they don't find the riches of God because we're giving them a portrayal of some fake thing that God never wanted us to portray. But if we had Joseph's in the house that said, I can't do anything. Oh, you should have seen my marriage before God. Oh, you should have seen it. It was bad news. 
But then I found God, changed my life. Here's what the Bible says. This is literally what the Bible says. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so you could say yes to heaven. He said he died on the cross and conquered the grave so heaven could reign in your life so you could be rich today. I'll show you a verse. 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Stop. Here's the problem today. None of us are actually bringing our poverty to God. I remember reading Matthew 5, 3 when I first got saved. Blessed are the poor. I was like, I need to talk to the author of this book because this is bull. All right, I am poor. We ain't blessed. Let me tell you, okay? Blessed are the poor, top ramen. What does this even mean? Blessed are the poor for the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. The one that actually understand how poor they are, then they finally actually get to have the riches of heaven poured out on it. Stop trying to cover up your poverty and just bring your poverty to God. How cool would it be actually if we had small groups and people actually shared their poverty? And other people are like, oh, so, so you're not, I'm not the only poor one? Because I come to a small group and I want it to be great, but there's like 10 people in there and we all come with this mask and we act like we're all rich. But really, we're all broken. And then when you actually bring your poverty, it says God pours out his, oh, here it is. When we bring our weakness, that's where his strength starts to rest and breathe a little bit. Let's, let's be the rich church. But to be the rich church, you must first say, I'm the poor church. Come on now. All right, um, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. 10.45, you're tied right now for best service. You have one more point to go over the top, all right? All right, so just buckle up, all right? It's a tie. Uh, the claps are good, all seven of you. You're doing a good job, you're carrying the weight. Um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about something where I think we need to talk about a little bit more in the church. It's <sighs> Joseph is, of course, this amazing picture of the gospel, but Jesus is a better Joseph. We see this. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. Jesus is betrayed by his brothers. Joseph is sold for money. Jesus is sold for money. Joseph is uh, uh, robe ripped off him naked. Jesus is whipped and taken naked. All these things correlate. One is used to save a nation. One is used to save mankind. It's an amazing picture. You'll just see, again, I love how the scripture always points to Jesus. All the books, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's just always pointing to Jesus. And we get this amazing picture between the, again, because God sent his son, and we get to watch the route of Jesus Christ, and we get to watch how he responds. And between the manger and the resurrection, there's this one moment that we get to see Jesus pour out his pain. He shows us this gift. You will not see language like this from Jesus except this moment in the Gospels. And what I mean by this is I think God was so kind to us because he knew wounds would come. Luke 17, it would be impossible for people not to be wounded in this world. I must teach them how to pour out their pain. I must teach them how to digest wounds. I must teach them that wounds will not define them, but I will use it to build them up. It's an amazing moment. So Matthew 26 36, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove, called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became an anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus, son of man, my soul is crushed. It's anguished. If you could talk to God today, what would you say about your soul? My soul is so angsty. My soul is so frustrated. My soul is so angry. My soul is so bitter. What would you say to God about your soul? It goes on to say, he went a little, far, a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, stop. Man, you get people coming to church and we teach them to pour out their praise. God's good. 
Let's celebrate, pour out your praise. And as a pastor, that's a, an amazing thing that we're supposed to do. But man, we got to teach people how to pour out their pain. Man, people taught me how to plant a church, but nobody taught me how to process pain. And so you, you, you plant a church and you pastor and you love people and then you just get wounded left and right because guess what? Sheep bite. We're called sheep. Sheep bite, sheep run, and guess what? Sheep use the bathroom. Can I just put it that way? So you invite people into your life and you get wounded by them. And then they run. And then they all over your carpet. And then they leave and you got to pick the mess up. You gotta, you gotta look at scripture and say, God, how do, I, how do I not let this destroy me? Because here's what Jesus does that's amazing is we'll take the riches of this world and we'll take our bankrupt spirit and we'll just make it all bankrupt and destroy it. But Jesus says, I'll take all the bankrupt things and I'll make them rich. I'll take Joseph, I'll take a dysfunctional family who betrays you. I'll take somebody who you served like crazy who betrayed you. I'll take people who forgot you. All this sounds like a bankrupt story, but I'm a God that is a God of riches. I will take this bankrupt story and I'll make it the richest story anybody's ever heard. This is what God does. So he takes your bankrupt story of abuse, your bankrupt story of being forgotten, your bankrupt story of having daddy wounds and mom wounds. He takes all these bankrupt things. He says, I can restore them. But catch this, if you try to transform your pain, it will transform you. He does not say transform because have you ever met anybody? All right, I got hurt by my parents, I got hurt by people. I'm gonna show people how strong I am. And so you get transformed by your pain and now you're Mr. Strong and Miss Strong. And what you do is how you don't get hurt anymore is you keep people at arm's length. Because the problem is, is God never tells us to bury our pain. Because when you bury your pain, really your pain's burying you. Because if you don't pour out your pain, if I could just say it, it spills out everywhere else. If you don't allow God to heal what other people have cut, you'll bleed on everybody else. Let me give you just a few things God shows us on how we pour out our pain. How we allow these things that this world throws at us to fall off of us and not to stick to us. It's getting quiet. I think this is hitting home. Here we go. First one, the presence of God is not a place where we ignore our emotions. It's a place where we pour out our emotions. The presence of God is not where we ignore how upset and frustrated we are. It's the place where we pour them out. Another one is just simply this. You got to pray out your pain. It says Jesus felt this pain. So what did he do? He went and prayed in a place. <laughs> I think everybody in this room, you need to find a place. You've been trying to find a person. It's not a person. His name's Jesus. You need to find a place to go pray with him. Come on, so many people are trying to drink from everybody else. Stop trying to drink from everybody else and try to have them heal you. Jesus is the one that heals. People can't heal, time doesn't heal, Jesus heals. My place is in my living room and I by my couch and I've never cried more and prayed more in this little square in, my, in, in, the, in the living room and I just pour it out to God. Pour out my fears, I pour out my frustrations. I just pour them out and then I'll have worship on, and it's fascinating, I'll pour out these things, and then I'll start worshiping, and then a week later, I literally forget about what I was actually frustrated about because I literally, I got rid of them. Man, that's, that's real freedom. I believe that can happen for your life. It happens for my life. So you gotta have a place. Jesus had a place. Another one is you gotta come to the conclusion, showing your pain doesn't make you weak, it makes you like Jesus. Man, showing this facade of that you're great and you don't have pain, that doesn't make you like Jesus, that makes you like the world. I'm not trying to look like the world. 
Man, one of the greatest things you can do to somebody is saying, I'm having a hard day. <sighs> Me too. One of the greatest things you can tell somebody, I'm having a lot of victory. Last week was terrible. Gave it all to God, been praying, tasting victory. It's one of the best things you can give hope to somebody who's in a pit. Say, I was there. Come follow me. I'll show you where I got. Another one, simply this is. I didn't share this first service. I just want to share it this, in this context. Um, If you were hurt by a human, a man, a dad, it's fascinating what the enemy will do to use that. They say the way you picture your earthly father is how you picture your heavenly father. And so God is always trying to invade our life with grace to show us how good he is. And there's this moment with Joseph. I just want you to catch this real quick. Joseph, I wish we could have peeked into when he actually got healthy and processed his pain and poured out his pain because Joseph has his brothers in his house literally eating food with them. And here's what it says. I want us to peek into this. It's an amazing moment. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers. When he told them who he was, he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. You ever met somebody who's really good at crying? I think Joseph, like, even like, I love even how they break, like, yo, this guy was good, so good at crying. He was such a great crier that the whole palace and the Pharaoh heard his crying. Some of you need to get really good at crying. I think he was so good at crying, it's almost like developing your singing lungs, you know what I'm saying? So he's like, I, why reason why I'm so good at crying is because I've been crying for the last 17 years. I've been pouring it out. It's the last moment. I feel like God's been healing me because I've been crying in front of God. I've been crying, and here's what's so good about it. He goes, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Stop. I pray people are astonished that you're still standing. When they start to hear your story in small groups, and they start to hear what happened to your life, and you share your weaknesses, and you share your poverty, and they go, how are you not only standing, but they're speechless because you're not only standing, but you're flourishing. The brother, how has this happened to you, Joseph? How did you become this? It's grace. It's a spirit. And I love what Joseph says. It's an amazing moment. They're standing there in front of him. He says three words that just, as I was preparing, made me weep a little bit. I'll just be honest, I've been crying a lot lately, but crying's good. He says, please come closer. So he said to them, so they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother. Stop. When you don't process your pain, when you don't process your wounds, the last thing you say to people is come closer. You keep them at an arm's length. But you start processing your pain, you start processing your wounds, you'll say to your spouse again, come closer again. You'll say to your friendships, come closer again. You'll say to your God, God, please come closer. And of course he's coming closer. And Jesus is the, the great Joseph because Jesus is betrayed, killed on a cross, resurrected, and the thing that he says throughout the gospel over and over again, because he's so healthy, is he says to us, come closer. My prayer this week is that you would pull people in, that you would not push them out, that you would pull new people in, and people need to be pulled in. This world is so good at pushing people out, this church is gonna be great at pulling people in. Do you hear me, church? Yes, amen? Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.